Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Beardlock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kempak's cat, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. But that incredibly awesome and fun-filled song is time for another episode of Trek Talking. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and boy, am I glad I'm here, and am I glad you can hear my voice, because... It was touch and go for a little while there, but I made it over the hump, and here I am, and I'm excited about the show, and I'm thrilled to be going out to Las Vegas for the Star Trek 55-year mission to meet Charles in person. The one and only Leslie Hoffman is going to be sitting right beside me, and Ewok Karen, of course, who was just here talking to me about barbecues, of all things. We're going to be in Las Vegas, and if you're going to be there... Please stop by the Trek talking table, say hello, get an autographed picture from Leslie, and hang out with us. I'd love to meet you. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my Trek experts. We'll start out with Eric. He's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing really good. And after hearing that Jim might have to cancel his trip out of West here, I, I went into a panic and then he quickly corrected me and said, thank goodness, negative COVID test, thank goodness good doctor's visit. I'm going out west. So I'm so happy for you, Jim. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this movie because uh, I know there are some differing opinions on this movie and I am ready to banter. (laughs) It's going to be fun. And also I got to talk to Charles, who is currently out in Las Vegas, where I am going to be landing on Tuesday morning. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. We got to talk about your schedule if you're doing Tuesday. Uh, doing good, kind of tired. It's been a busy day at work. Uh, for those lucky enough to say, oh, yeah, we're going to school to run Labor Day. It's like, yeah, we're not. We start on Monday. And we got a lot, we got a whole bunch of computers in rooms that we're trying to get rid of. So I've been hauling a lot of computers around. Sounds like fun. So guys, just to, just to <laughs> fill you guys in a little bit, I I have been really sick, and I called the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, uh, it sounds like you have COVID. I'm like, oh, no. And uh, they wouldn't see me until I got a test, blah, blah. It was, it was, it was a nightmare. Turns out I don't have COVID. I have an upper respiratory infection. Um, he gave me some incredible drugs uh, and cleared me right out. In fact, I didn't think I'd be able to do the podcast tonight because I couldn't even talk. But you're hearing my voice, so 
he, he cleared me and said it would be safe to fly. It would be okay to go out to Vegas as long as we followed the protocols that are set up. So we're going to Vegas, baby. We're going to hang out with Charles. We're going to be at the convention. We're going to be broadcasting live. You'll be able to hear live from Las Vegas, and we're going to do it on Thursday um, from 7 to 9, uh, my time, which will actually be Charles's time because I'll be where Charles is. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You guys, you guys want to check that out without any further confusion. So we have a really fun show for you guys tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Generations. And, uh, yeah, not one of my favorite Star Trek movies. Uh, we also have fan shout-outs and Star Trek birthdays. We have some news on Section 31, Strange New Worlds, and Tom Paris is back. Or is he? So you're going to have to hang out to find out. Anyways, I'm, I'm psyched to be here with you guys. And I just want to let you know that I'm holding in my hand right here, right now, a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. And I want to give it to you, okay? Star Trek Season 3 of, of Discovery is currently on DVD and limited edition Steelbox. The must-have collectors features all 13 episodes and includes over two hours of special features including deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes featurette, cast interviews, and a gag reel. Own Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on Blu-ray and DVD now from CBS and Paramount Home Entertainment. Or you can simply call 646-668-2433 and win it. It's very simple. Okay, I want to send it to you. I'm dying to send it to you, but you have to call, okay? you got to let your fingers do the walk-in and call Uncle Jim right now, 646-668-2433, and you'll win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. So, we always start off the show with our around-the-globe numbers, and for that, we turn to Eric. Eric, what's going on with our global listeners Oh, my gosh, Jim. We are all over the place, and it seems a new normal has been reached here. Uh, you know, as always, about 75% of our listeners come from the United States, and uh, thank you to the 35,000 people who have downloaded our podcast and to the 59,000 people who have liked us on Facebook. But here we go, Canada holding on to that number one spot with 6.13% of our international listeners. Wow. I mean, of our overall listeners but they are, of course, from outside the United States. That is amazing. So Canada has definitely taken the torch from the U.K., uh, which is pretty awesome. We thought maybe last week was a numerical anomaly, but it turns out uh, this is the new normal. Uh, But, you know, the U.K. hasn't given up. Uh, They are still in that number two spot. They are holding down 4.76% of our listeners, just uh, up a skosh from last week. So uh, thank you very much to the, the folks in the U.K., In our number three spot, holding steady, Australia, the folks down under, 4.53% of our listeners. That is also up a tenth from last week. Uh, But, you know, not to be outdone, moving up the scales, uh, Ireland still has 1.86% of our listeners. And uh, for such a little country, uh, that is pretty cool that almost 2% of our listeners come from Ireland uh, in and of itself. So thank you so much, folks in Ireland. And finally, rounding out our top five international countries, we have Norway with 1.61% of our listeners. So thank you to every single one of our listeners, whether you come from the U.S. or whether you come from somewhere else on this big old marble we all live on. Uh, we 
we appreciate every single one of you, no matter what language you speak uh, and no matter how you listen to our podcast. It's amazing uh, to have you along for the ride. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, we also like to break that down, countries and cities. So, Charles, what's going on on our top cities list? A little bit of changes. Well, I... Well, definitely there must be a lot of bouncing going on around in the top 20 and 30. Indianapolis, Indiana, near Shannon, was 32nd last week. They're now at 35th. Portland, Oregon dropped from 23rd down to 22nd this week for Eric. Go Portland. And Las Vegas went from 16th this week to 18th. So there must be a lot of battling in those numbers. Well, last week, Houston joined the top ten. Well, San Pablo, Brazil, said, no, I'm not allowed to be in the top ten. And they regained their top ten position. And then this week, it looks like the rest of the, the rest of it stayed stable. Brisbane and Queensland, Australia, still ninth. San Antonio, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Los Angeles, California, Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, London, UK, and New York City. So Jim was worried there was going to be some bumping up in the top ten, where it didn't end up happening this week, but you never know week to week where the bounces is going to be. Mm-hmm. No, nope. It, it can happen at any time, and uh, that's determined by you guys. You guys go to our Facebook page, give us a like, give us a follow, and uh, make those numbers bounce around for us. So, you know, we we heard the countries, we heard the cities, but now we want to hear from you. So every week we give individual fan shout-outs to people just like you. And how you get a fan shout-out is you go to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. And you'll see the live long and prosper symbol and just drop us a note and tell us where you're listening, where you're from. Every week I pick 15 lucky fans. If you see a heart next to your name from Trek Talk, and that means yours truly, Uncle Jim, has chosen your and your name will be called out on the next podcast. So, Eric, why don't you get us started with our fan shout outs this week? Absolutely. Our very first fan shout out this week goes out to Arne Deutscher from Germany on the Baltic coast. So thank you, Arne, for listening to us all the way from the center of Europe right there uh, in Germany. That's pretty cool. Uh, So thank you very much. Uh, A hearty hello and thank you very much going out to Hascone Bella Alexandra from Hungary, who gives us a little live long and prosper icon. Wow, that's so cool. Somebody from Hungary. I do not remember calling out before so maybe that's the first from that country on our on our uh, top 15 here so thank you so much Hascone for interacting with us on our Facebook page we're also saying hello and thank you very very much to Juao Alasemo Silva Serra in Alacoba Portugal Portugal Ooh, wow thank you so much for listening to us from uh, South America that is so cool uh, we've got top fan Miguel A. Sanchez from the Dominican Republic saying hello to us. Hello to you, Miguel. Thank you so much for listening to us. And finally, Adam Maguera from Poland in a town called, I think, Gdansk. 
that sounds uh, very cool, very cool. Adam, thank you so much for listening to us from uh, Poland, Gdansk. Charles, who's on your list this week? Well, I'm going to start off with Liam England, Jerry Sanders from Rockhampton, Australia. Top fan, Luke Mora, Moira Luke from Bristol, Virginia. Right off next between Bristol, Virginia and Bristol, Tennessee, where one of the big NASCAR tracks are. Ruin Six from South America. Top act, John Barker from Forby, UK. Jim, how about your list? Well, I gotta I gotta zoom in a little bit because I'm old and blind and I have trouble reading on this little screen on my phone here. So let's make it a little bigger. There we go. So we like to say hello and thank you to Eileen Murray from Glasgow, Scotland. That's where my grandmother's from. I always love to visit there and see where my roots are from. So thank you for listening to us in Glasgow, Scotland. We'd also just like to say hello and thank you to top fan Richard Johnson, who's listening right now in Delaware. Thank you so much. We'd like to say kapla and thank you to Chris Ducksworth from Brisbane, Australia. Good day, mate. And we'd also like to say thank you and live long and prosper to Cassandra Johnson, who's listening to us in Hayes, North Carolina, U.S. of A. And finally, last but not least, we want to say hello and thank you to Ralph Koch from Cologne, Germany. We couldn't do the show without you guys, and we really appreciate your support. So thank you so, so much. If you'd like to hear your name mentioned on a fan shout-out, just visit our Facebook page and tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name, you want to tune in because you're going to get an individual fan shout-out. Thank you guys so much. Now it's time for our... Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. No, it was not, but we like it anyways, Warp. And you know what? We always like to start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members who are no longer with us anymore. And for that, we turn to Eric. So, Eric, who are we saying happy birthday to who is no longer with us? Well, our very first remembrance this week goes out to someone, of course, from the TOS era. Uh, He played the character of Gorgon in the episode And the Children Shall Lead. Uh, His name was Melvin Belly. Uh, Of course, that character doesn't show up till sort of the end of that episode, uh, and, uh, you know, he's kind of show, first shows up as this green shimmering entity and then eventually takes uh, a little bit more form. But uh, Melvin Belly would have had a birthday this week. So happy birthday, Melvin. Uh, we're also saying happy birthday and sending out our remembrances to Jack Blessing. Uh, he played the character of Agent Dulmer on DS9's Trials and Tribulations. He was actually a member of the Department of Temporal Investigations, which, uh, of course, is... A very interesting uh, organization as far as I'm concerned, especially as it relates to discovery and being in the 32nd century and uh, things that we know happened during the temporal wars. So 
very interesting uh, time, very uh, interesting character. So happy birthday to Jack Blessing. I learned some trivia on this one. Oh, yeah. We talked oh. about the two agents. Agent what is his name? This one is Dolmer. What happens when you rearrange the letters? What do you get? Uh, ooh, interesting. Mulder. Oh. Mulder. Oh. If you rearrange the letters of the other agents, you get Sully. No way. No way. Two agents are Mulder and Sully. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Oh, Charles. That is awesome. That is too cool. <laughs> See, it's not only fun, it's educational. Way to go, man. That's a good tip. Thank you so much for that. All right. Well, Jack, blessing. Oh, uh, thank you, you for oh, being was... Yeah. Wow. Good. I was watching. My mind the, uh... has just been blown. <laughs> I was watching Seventh Rule, and they were talking about the episode, and they said, oh, by the way, there's two agents in the same thing, Mulder and Scully. I was like, wow, that's just. Incredible. Well, Jack, that Blessing, is. thank you, thank you for being wow. Star Trek's version of Agent Mulder. That is so cool. Uh, I love it. Uh, well, we're sending out a remembrance this week also to Wendy Hughes, who would have had a birthday. She played Lieutenant Commander Nella Darren in TNG's Lessons. Uh, we're also remembering Paul Lambert, who played Melian in TNG's episode When the Bow Breaks. And also played Dr. Howard Clark in TNG's Devil's Do. Uh, so a couple of different roles. Uh, he's sort of an older gentleman. Yeah, I think you would recognize him if you saw his face. Uh, he's kind of somebody who shows up, as we said, twice uh, in TNG. So would have had a birthday this week. Uh, happy birthday also, and Remembrance is going out to Theodore Marcus. Uh, played the character of Karab in TOS's Cat's Paw, one of those pretty fun episodes. Uh, Karab is the is the ball guy with the with the sort of uniform or uh, outfit, I guess, that has the big eye on it. Um, he's one of those interesting people from that episode. So, happy birthday to Theodore Marcus. Happy birthday also to Barbara Townsend. Uh, she played Admiral Rosa in TNG's First Duty, so one of those uh, one of those great TNG uh, admirals. Um, was she evil in that episode? I don't I don't really remember that one too much. You remember any lore well, in that episode, Jim? She she was grilling our beloved Wesley uh, without mercy, rolling him around like a weenie on the Barbie uh, <laughs> because because <laughs> he was lying. And uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's pretty I don't good. know if she was evil, but yeah, <laughs> Wesley lied, right. he did something wrong, he got caught. <laughs> uh, yeah, and as well, he uh, should have, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, happy birthday also to David Bryan, who played the character of John Gill in TOS's Patterns of Force. And uh, I have saved uh, this one for last. Our last remembrance this week going out to uh, the character or the uh, person Ted Cassidy, uh, who has played a couple of different things uh, in Star Trek. Uh, he played the character of Rook in TOS's episode "What Are Little Girls Made Of?" So uh, think big giant guy with lots of makeup. Uh, also in TOS's episode "Arena," he was the voice of the Gorn. Uh, but Jim, 
Uh, I think Ted Cassidy is known for perhaps another role outside of Star Trek that we, we give him Star Trek cred, but where is he really known from? Oh, come on. Everybody knows. Everybody knows this, don't they? I think they do. Ted Cassidy is our good man, Lurch, from the original Adams Family TV uh, series. Uh, the one and only Lurch, as far as I'm concerned. You right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Which, which is funny because we're going to talk about another lurch a little bit later on. Yes, we, we are. Two, we have two lurches to talk about. Uh, the second, the, the, the second lurch we're going to talk about never said you right. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's yeah. that's odd, isn't it? It is, but a uh, odd. <laughs> a little bit odd, but 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 he he also surprised me when I found out that he did the voice of the Gorn. Yeah, I did not actually know that little tidbit, uh, so I was interested to go back and find that out. And it makes sense. I mean, he's so distinctive, right? He's just one of those guys from that era that has that voice and that body and you know the look. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't have just had Bobby Clark do it. He was the Gorn. Um, Charles, is Bobby Clark still scheduled for Las Vegas or did he cancel? Do you know? I don't I know. Haven't... I haven't, haven't seen my list yet. I'll check after my birthday. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't checked. I'm kind of looking forward to meeting the Gorn. He's, he's, I think. I think Star. I think Arena might have been the first or one of the very, very, very first episodes of TOS that I ever saw because I fell in love with the Gorn. I always loved that Gorn, and that episode was one of the ones that sticks in my craw. I think that might have been the first Star Trek episode that I saw. So I was kind of excited to get a chance to meet the Gorn himself, Bobby Clark. But I was really surprised when I found out that it wasn't him that did the voice. Well, well, Ted Cassidy, yeah, at, uh, you know, six foot nine, he had that uh, that whole like upper chest cavity that made all that deep resonance, which was really and cool. And you see, all the stuff that we've already learned on tonight's show. Wow, there you we're go. Just, yeah, we're yeah. just hitting home runs left and right. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, and Bobby's still on the guest list. I think nice. he's oh, one of the. He's one of them that usually gets in the dealer's room. He might not cancel as much as some of the others might. I might, I might pack my Gorn, my Gorn uh, figure and have him sign it. We'll have to see how much room I have in my luggage. Anyways, guys, believe it or not, it is time for our very first commercial break. For you guys that are listening over on Odyssey Radio, uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after these very important messages. For those of you who are listening to us live or on any other podcast provider, you're going to hear a quick message from my buddy TJ over at Freakopolis Geekery in Whitehall, New York, right over the border from Vermont, where I'm sitting right now. And when we come back, Charles is going to continue with the birthdays. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this very quick yet painless message. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls 
Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont. The Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team's Hero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing ship-to-ship tactical combat for the tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. So uh, who is on your birthday list tonight, Charles? Well, let's start off with Susan Denberg, who played Mad in TOS's Mud Women. I'm assuming she's Excellent character. She was the blonde woman. Then there's Michelle Bell, who played Grofler Zorn in the TNT episode Encounter at Farpoint. Back to starting our TNG era. Mm-hmm. Doug Wirtz played Lieutenant Commander Jack TNG episode Family and Violation Violations and Journeys End. We've got uh, Doctor Fresh's husband before yeah. he was killed in the incident. Which I think is a a thing that still kind of haunts Picard to this day. And actually, I keep hoping maybe they'll kind of bring it back up in Picard Season 2. We'll have to see. Yeah. Or even the comics talk about that one. They sure do. Tony Rizzillo played Cannon in DS9 Duet. Played... Haggis in DS9's episode Business as Usual. Molly Higgins played Aria in DS9's Gem Hadar. Yeah, she was the first, um, she was the first, um, uh, yeah, uh, what do you call them? Not, um, not the founders, Borda, Borda that yeah, we get to see. Exactly. Yep. Before before we get our our Wayun, who we see over and over again. <laughs> yes, before Wayun. Javier Bau in Discoveries: The Sound of Thunder. Interesting. A yes. Creature. Daniel De Kim. Say Gotan Rez in Voyager's Blink of an Eye. Dominic Bergeris played Mr. Zip in Bacar's Star Rag City. Jonah Cassidy played Celeste in his Home and Awakening. And his character is the mother of Paul. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And finally on our finally on my last birthday is gonna be a new one for us. 
And that is Agnes Amari, who plays the character Zero in the up-and-coming series of Prodigy. So we're already getting birthdays from some of the Prodigy characters already. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, we have a caller on the line. So let's see let's see if we can give away a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season Three on DVD. What do you say? Before we finish up our birthday. Yeah. Yeah, I love talking to fans. Let's see who we got on the line here. If I can get this thing to work. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? It's Nate from Vegas. Do I win a second one? Woo! Yeah, you get two. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't get two. He doesn't get two. Nate gets two. Yeah, one for one winner. <laughs> <laughs> I got all excited for Nate. I ended wow. up. I ended up calling in because my internet went down. Good old Cox cable, so uh, I couldn't listen to the show anymore. So I was like, "Crap! I got to call in now." There you go. Hey, did um, did you get your discovery? Did it did it come in the mail? I did, but it didn't Excellent. look like a steel case to me. No, it looked like a normal but, DVD case. Yeah, normal DVD. But you got but it you right. You said it was a steel case. Yeah, well, you take what you can get, I suppose, when they're free, right? Oh. False advertising. <laughs> the company sent you the wrong stuff. <laughs> those those sons of bitches. But yeah, so you don't you don't get a second one. You only get one. So okay. There. All righty. <laughs> so, so, uh, so you know what? It was a false alarm, guys. It's not a real caller. So we still have Star Trek <laughs> Discovery. <laughs> no, nobody important. <laughs> yeah. We we still have Star Trek Discovery season three to give away. You can still win it because Nate doesn't get two. So you can call us at six four six. Six six eight two four three three, and you can win a copy. Give us a call, and I'll ship it right out to you. So we're going to continue on with our birthdays, and the first one on my list is Melanie Shatner, and she's the daughter of Jean-Luc Picard. And um, yeah, no, but did I get some? Yeah, anyways, senile uh, old man. Yeah, I get senile. Uh, she is the daughter of Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner. She played his yeoman in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and she wrote a, a really interesting book called Star Trek V, Captain's Log, The Making of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And um, it's a really interesting book on the insights of what goes into making a movie, in particular, Star Trek V. And it's got a lot of behind-the-scenes pictures in it, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So happy birthday to Melanie Shatner. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Bridget Brana, who played Ruby in the Enterprise episode, First Flight. We'd like to say happy birthday to Richard Fancy, who played Captain Satlick in the TNG episode, First Duty. He's another one of those admirals that was grilling Wesley like a, like a weenie on the Barbie. He was a Vulcan, though. So, uh, yeah, he, he grilled them a little bit differently. But happy birthday to Richard Fancy. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Leslie Ackerman, who played the K-7 waitress in the DS9 episode, Trials and Tribulations. Great role. Uh, it was funny. I, I thought she really came across really well, re- bringing that role back to life. So 
Happy birthday to Leslie Ackerman. We like to say, oh, happy birthday to Namia Persoff. Good job, Jim. Uh, I, I, I think I butchered it. Uh, he no, played Taylor Cobb in, in the TNG episode, The Most Toys. He's the guy that had the body piercings and uh, uh, the jewelry that went through his nostril and out mm-hmm. his lip and all had all you know that weird looking uh, uh, body piercing thing. You'd recognize him if you saw him. We'd also say happy birthday to Jeanette Arnett, who played Dr. Karen Lowe's in the DS9 episode, Statistical Probabilities. Now we're getting down to some of my favorites. We'd like to say happy birthday to France Nunn, who played Alain Dolman of Alas in the TOS episode, Alain of Troyes. I swear she was a Klingon. She acted (laughs) like a Klingon, except for the tears that would make you fall in love with her forever. She was a Klingon through and through. I think she would have given the Duras sisters a run for their money. So happy she birthday to France. Yeah. She definitely had yeah. that attitude and kind of like the the face that never changed, right? Just like that look. Yeah, I, I thought she was awesome. Yeah. And now we're getting down to some good ones. Uh, this next guy happened, if you've ever listened to the podcast before, this guy was at my wedding. And I have a picture on our Facebook page posted of him standing with me and Karen at our wedding. And I'm like up to his armpit and Karen's like up to his waist. And he's just towering above us. Incredibly nice guy. Nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. He did play Lurch in the Adams Family movies, but he never said, you right. He did play the piano, though. The organ, but they cut it out of the movie. I don't know why. But anyways, we know him as Mr. Hom from Star Trek The Next Generation. And, of course, I'm talking about Carl Striken. So happy birthday to Carl Striken. Not the original Lurch, but still a Lurch nonetheless. And, and last, interestingly, but, Jim, three inches taller than the original Lurch because uh, Carl Striken is a seven-footer. Boom. Yeah, he, he was a big guy. When he walked into my wedding reception, every, everybody just stopped and turned. And the and the yeah. hotel band started playing the Star Trek theme song. It was one of the greatest. It was incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, he walked up to our table. You know, when you're at a wedding, the table, the, the, the bride and groom's table is up on, I don't know, a pedestal, I guess, in the front. And he walked right up to it, even on the pedestal. He was like, like eye level. It was He's a big guy, but he's so nice. Such a nice guy. And last but not least, one of my favorite characters on Star Trek Discovery, I thought she was great as Captain Killy uh, when she had that straight hair and that, that gold body suit or whatever. Incredible. I loved her. And, of course, we're talking about Mary Wiseman, who plays Sylvia Tilly on Star Trek Discovery. And the Tilly book written by uh, Una McCormick, phenomenal. Uh, we, we reviewed it on our Book Nook show. And if you want some background on the character of Tilly, I recommend that book. It's really great. And uh, so happy birthday to Mary Wiseman. Um, I was thinking about meeting her at Star Trek Las Vegas, but I think she's canceled. So um, I won't be meeting her. Uh, but I may be meeting her at the Edison, New Jersey Sci-Fi Summit because she's still scheduled to be there, and Trek Talking will be there as well. So we'll have to wait and see. So it's time for Star Trek news. Star Trek news. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Yes, that's I mean, it's time for Star Trek news, and I'm going to start out this week. All the stories that we're about to talk about, um, I've kind of broken them down, but you can read the stories in their entirety on our Facebook page. So the first one is entitled, Section 31 Confirmed to be in Development with Michelle Yeoh. How did you get in here? How Get, get, get down. Um, uh, where was I? AJ got in here somehow. It had to be that's a wife yeah. when she was talking. When she was talking to me about the barbecue, he must have snuck in. Um, anyways, Viacom CBS released a press announcement confirming the new deal with secret hideout Alex Kurtzman to continue the current era of Star Trek series under his guidance. And the announcement that the long-rumored Section 31 is finally in development with Michelle Yeoh attached to Star. The press release says that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is getting a 2022 release date and as it's mentioned, in the same breath as that announcement, one can allude that Section 31 is also getting a 2022 release date. Strange New Worlds will likely debut in the winter around January or February, while Section 31 could be out as late as November or December of 2022. That said, shows have been known to have their premieres pushed back due to one reason or another, so 2023 is also possible for the release date. And with COVID, that could change even more. So uh, I hope I hope that they still have Ash Tyler on that show, and I hope that we see a lot more of Laurel because I really like what uh, what they did with that character and what Mary Chifo brings to the role. So we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric, what, what do you have to tell us about? Uh, I've got a great article too. I, you know, it's interesting, Jim. I wonder maybe on a future show we'll talk about the extension of Kurtzman's uh, contract because I know that's been a little bit of a, a point of contention amongst our Star Trek community. But uh, that is, uh, to me, I'm excited that Section 31 is coming out and that that kind of project is pushing forward myself. So good times there. Uh, my article here: Doug Jones and Anthony Rapp preview. What's in store for Saru and Stamets in Star Trek Discovery Season 4? The big news in the season finale was Michael Burnham being promoted to the rank of captain and given command of the USS Discovery. That left a bit of an open question regarding Saru's status. Speaking to StarTrek.com, Doug Jones did offer some clarity. Quote, I've still got some captain status with Starfleet, Jones disclosed. The question for Season 4 will be, where do they plug me in and how? You'll see a tug in season four between home and its duties to Starfleet, teases the actor. I think Saru's longing for home is something any of us can relate to, how nostalgic we've all become for relationships, family, and friends. Those things have become even more important to us in a world faced with peril. I think you'll see these seeds of Saru wrestling with that, the idea of being tethered to home during season four. The actor also uh, again hinted that there is a budding romance with Saru and a character introduced in Season 3. If you look at another episode in Season 3, you'll see that he meets President Tarina from the planet Navarre, which is formerly Vulcan, and his heart goes a little bit flutter-flutter over her. So, 
If there's a romantic interest, that's probably going to be President Tarina from Navarre. Very, very interesting there. Anthony Rapp revealed season four allowed him to work more with an actor he didn't get much time with in season three. Quote, I think I can say that one of the exciting things for me is that I get to have some really nice moments with David Ahala, who is a fantastic person and a wonderful actor, but we were on a very different track in season three when he first came onto the show. So I may have had one moment where we even were in the same room, but that's about it. Uh, But in season four, I get a nice extended sequence with him, working with him on something, and that was just a total pleasure to get to spend some time with David and to watch his wonderful work in person. Stamets is working his butt off in season four, I can tell you that much, trying to help save the universe again. (laughs) Anthony Rapp confirms the family connection with the deer and gray will grow in season four. Quote, yes, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that one of the cool things about season four for Adir and Gray is that they get to spread their wings a little bit. They have their sea legs now, so you get to see them in their own right, and not just simply as a piece of the family puzzle or being overseen and tended to in that way. So uh, I personally am very excited uh, about the uh, sort of future for both of these characters particularly interested in what they're going to do with that Saru character and, uh, you know, bringing, I assume, more of his Kelpian culture and that sort of stuff into it with the character whose name I cannot remember right now from season three, the Kelpian guy. Sukal. There we go. Sukal. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty cool article there. Uh, Charles, what you got? Tom Paul. I remember they played from Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2. There's a real project coming soon. One of the vital surprises in the Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2 trailer was an appearance by Star Trek and McNeil is back to voice the character who appears in an unusual way as a plate. There's a moment with a frantic Brad Boimler looking at Jeffrey's tube, talking to a commemorative plate between Tom Paris alongside an image of the USS Voyager. Returning home from seven seasons of the Delta Quadrant at the helm of the Voyager must have made Tom Paris a bit of a celebrity. Having a plate or even speaking to it isn't out of character for Boimler, fanboy. <clears throat> However, the plate speaking back is a bit out of character for dinnerware. What is also surprising announcement that the Tom Paris commemorative plate was being developed as a real product. Each plate is 8 inches in diameter and will come with a stand. There's no detail in pricing yet. Pre-orders will open up on August 11th, one day before the season two premiere. Fans can register interest at StarTrekUnlimited.com. Charles, are you going to get a plate? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. It was kind I of wonder if, you. Yeah, go ahead. You, you think they'll have them on display at Star Trek Las Vegas? They might. <laughs> I mean, I just, that was such a moment in Lower Decks that they are, you know, will be such a moment in Lower Decks that I, I got to believe that it's going to become a thing. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. 
So uh, my the next story is entitled "Strange New World Is Bringing Back to Pring." The last time we saw it to Pring, Spock's Bride was in the season two episode of Star Trek: The Original Series, A Mock Time. The Pring wasn't interested in being Spock's wife, so she demanded the Kalaki, which is a battle between Spock and the champion she chose. In the end, Tapring ended up with Stan, the purebred Vulcan she wanted, and we never saw or heard from her again. Actress Gia Sanru has been cast in the three episodes of the series, appearing as Tapring. Fans were quick to respond that in the original series, Spock had not seen Tapring since they were children. So if she returns in Captain Pike's time period, it will essentially retcon what Spock had divulged in a mock time, unless they use her in such a manner that Spock doesn't see her which could happen. It's entirely possible we'll see an episode where we get to meet the Pring before Spock sees her again. So that isn't necessarily a mistake with the timeline or canon. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, I need to correct that episode because I watched that episode last night in preparation for the show, and Spock never, never says or hints at anything about when he last saw her. He says they were betrothed as children. That's right. not the same thing as saying we haven't seen each other since we were children. So I think some fans are getting out of proportion, getting ready, I don't know, to attack and hate everything. But in the episode, it is never said, hinted at, or implied the last time Spock saw to prank. So... That's not violating anything in canon that would that had been pre-established at all. If we see her with Spock prior to that episode, uh, but I did notice something strange about that episode. Since it was their wedding, where were Spock and Amanda, or, or, or I mean, Sarek and Amanda? Why wouldn't they have? Why wouldn't Sarek have been there um, at that point? I I don't know, but um, I could I can anyway. actually believe that Sarek wouldn't make it but I wouldn't believe that Amanda wouldn't make it. Yeah, just uh, yeah, just a little little sidebar. But I'm really excited to see what they do with that whole character and, uh, you know, the whole Spock and her thing. It's, and maybe we'll see a young Stan as well. They didn't mention it, but maybe. Who knows? Um, look, I, I, look, I love Anson Mount, and I can't wait to see the show. I'm so psyched about it. And, and Eric, you got another good story here for us. Oh, my God. I got all kinds of Anthony Rapp this week, which is awesome. Anthony Rapp on Stamets balancing science and family in Star Trek Discovery Season 4. At the end of Season 3, Stamets got into conflict with Burnham in a serious way. And that challenge – oh, is that a challenge, being that she is the lead character and supposed to be a hero? This is a question asked to him. How do you play that dynamic without coming off as the bad guy? And Anthony Rapp says this. It's not my concern about coming off as the bad guy or not. My concern is to try to find the truth of the moment. And if you're a person in life and you're having a really intense confrontation with somebody, even if you love and respect them, if you really told the truth, you don't think you'd be, I don't think you'd be looking inside yourself and going, I don't want to be a bad guy here. You're just reacting. He is responding. He, Stamets, is responding. I was very grateful that Jonathan Frakes was the director of that sequence because he's such a sensitive and present and character-driven and story-driven director. When I read the script and I saw those scenes and then I found out Jonathan was directing, I was very relieved and grateful. I felt like we would be in excellent hands. So, yeah, 
It's just a matter of diving in and going for it and then trusting that he would say, okay, can you just sort of recalibrate this moment a little bit? Having that trust and safety with him made all the difference. Uh, so another question, the final scene of the season is celebratory with Michael as captain and everyone in their new uniform. But you are sort of the odd man out and don't seem happy. Was that in the script or a personal choice or did it come from the director? And he said, yeah, it's a personal choice. I don't think Stamets would say, Michael, you cannot be captain. But something happened between us that was painful. And it's hard to be like a super cheerleader, rah-rah in a situation where there's some lingering pain. But it's not an insurmountable pain. It's not forever, we can never be close again pain, but it was painful. So it makes sense to me that it wouldn't be like, I'm going to be cheering you on right now. And that was supported by Olutende Osuname, who was our director of the finale. And I didn't want to make it like, oh my God, I'm going to kill you, but it's a subtle thing. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to be like 100% totally happy right now. So uh, I think that is kind of interesting because I really feel on Discovery that the actors who have been cast in this show are trying to come at these characters not just from uh, the standpoint of what's written uh, in the script, but but really thinking about the underlying kind of motivations behind these characters and developing the characters themselves and then you know, presenting that on screen. And, and, you know, this is a good example. Uh, here, Anthony Rapp made, makes a personal choice uh, because he thinks that that's what his character would do. And that's, that's probably why uh, newer Star Trek in Discovery maybe feels a little bit more human, you know, not, not quite as utopian, but a little bit more kind of just like how people might actually react to things, which I think is pretty interesting. So, Great article. You should go read that full one uh, on our website as well. And Charles has yeah. I just wanted to. Article. Oh yeah, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I just want to take it because we only we only have two minutes till we got to take oh, our yeah. next break. So yeah, so I just wanted to say that I thought that scene that he's talking about with Jonathan mm-hmm. Frakes directing, that's the scene where Michael Burnham shoots him out the airlock there. Yep. yep. And uh, yep. he's he's pleading with her, and uh, I, that scene was 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 just. Yeah. phenomenal it was um, great and i still don't know how i feel about it. like i think the best scenes in star trek you don't know how you feel about them when they are over and i still don't know like uh, did michael do the right thing there i mean i don't know i don't know very very yeah cool. i mean you, you you can't let you can't let uh uh crazy green woman there osira <laughs> get her hands on stamets um otherwise the show is over um, but yeah. it was a it was a really good scene, and Jonathan Frakes. I gotta say, every episode he directs, he he's incredible. And I think Anthony Stam uh, Anthony Rapp hit the nail on the head. So that's excellent. Anyways, believe it or not, it's time for another commercial break. My God, where does the time go? We start Trek talking and just having fun. I'm still holding in my hands a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. And, and yes, you're right, Nate. It is not Blu-ray Steelbox, but it's still on DVD. And I want to give it to you. So you have to call us at 646-668-2433 and say, hey, Uncle Jim, I want Discovery Season 3, and I will drop it in the mail right off to you. And you also get a Trek Talking refrigerator magnet. What would you think about that one, Nate? 
I got a refrigerator magnet. Is that what those were? I thought they were business cards. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's one business card and there's one refrigerator magnet. You got one of each. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty cool. Anyways, give us a call, 646-668-2433. You can get a business card, refrigerator magnet, and copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. Don't touch the dial. Don't go away. we got one more great story, and then we're going to dive into Star Trek Generations. And uh, we just got to hear from a buddy of mine. Here it is. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But your time is finally here You can feel the change in your thoughts right now Nothing's in your way And they're not gonna hold you down no more No, they're not gonna hold you down Cause we've got faith that you call We wanna hear what you have to say We've got faith to believe In Trek talking today You've got faith in your fingers All you gotta do is sound down You can reach us right now We've got faith We've got faith Faith that you call And we're back, and that's right. We have faith that you'll call 646-668-2433 and win yourself a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD. Speaking of Discovery Season 3 and speaking of Star Trek Generations, what do you have to talk to us about, Charles? Well, this was an interesting one that caught me, personally. Viacom CBS has made Paramount Plus the primary focus of its business, and this summer has greatly expanded its offering of feature films, especially films produced by Paramount Pictures. As of June, all six original Star Trek features, feature films, along with all four of the Next Generation films, were included in Paramount Plus. The latest, Star Trek Beyond, was also added in June, with Star Trek In the Darkness added late July, leaving the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film was the sole film not he part of streaming service. However, as August rolled in, instead of the film catalog finally being complete, all of the POS and TNG movies disappeared. The six movies and all but one of the TNG movies are now available exclusively on AMC Plus, streaming service. Generations also left Paramount Plus, but is now not available to stream anywhere. In July, Paramount Plus did offer some warnings of the films had a limited time on sending out a tweet saying that you could them until the end of the month. So as of now, only Beyond and Inner Darkness remain on Paramount Plus. Now, correction this article, it is available to rent on Amazon, but it is not streaming for free on Amazon. Mm. Did you double check that? Because uh, I actually went to check Amazon for generations and it could not even be rented the other day. 
I thought I could rent it, but I was trying to figure out where I could find it. And end up saying, okay, I give up. Instead of paying for it, I've got the DVD in my collection. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, in the age of streaming rights, all kinds of weird things are going on because streaming didn't exist when a lot of these contracts were written. And in fact, Disney just lost some movies like like that as well, Disney Plus, due to streaming rights. So uh, hopefully Paramount Plus can get them back relatively, you know, whenever this contract expires and have Star Trek back because it was great to have all of Star Trek in one place, albeit briefly. It was very (laughs) short, right? That was the thing was it was like it was two months we had everything in one place and that was it. And now it's gone. So and now it's gone. Yeah, let's hope they remedy okay, that for, and uh, get it back. For Eric, there are two different versions of Star Trek Generation. There is the one with the with the ship. I think it's the Enterprise B on this cover. And there's one with the Shatner, Picard, and Data on the cover. The one with the three actors is available for rent. The one with just the ship is not available for rent. Hmm. Okay. Well, there you go. Weirdness in the uh, age of streaming. Yep. It's very weird. So, anyways, guys, we're talking about Star Trek Generations, and it was a good Jim, good before we go into Generations, I wanted to say something real quick. Absolutely. Okay, so according to the cons website, the only two Discovery actors still coming are Mary Wiseman on Sunday only, and Mary uh, Chifo is coming. Uh, she is going to be there throughout the convention. So those are the only two that are still going to be uh, coming to the convention. So you'll get your chance to meet Mary. Mary and Laurel. I think a couple of other actors are going to be in there on Sunday because there's supposed to be that D&D game on Sunday with Discovery Crew. Oh, interesting. Well, those are the only two Discovery Crew still coming. Interesting. I guess we'll find out when I get there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, guys, we've been talking about Star Trek movies. We've been talking about Star Trek Generations. If you haven't seen it in a long time, it's understandable. But if you'd like a quick a quick reminder of what it was all about, here's the trailer. Maybe. What's wrong here? There we go. Live radio. In a distant corner of our galaxy, a secret observatory is attacked. A brilliant scientist is found, and a mysterious ribbon of energy where past and future collide is unleashed. It's a doorway that we call the Nexus. Every ship which has approached the ribbon has either been destroyed or severely damaged. Obviously, they were looking for something. There's still no indication of why they attacked the station. I must return to the observatory immediately. There's nothing I can do. Timing is very important in my experiment. Where the hell's he going? I 
have an appointment with Eternity. And I don't want to be late. Someone doesn't care about weapons or power. She just cares about getting back to the next place. The star is going to collapse in a matter of minutes. That'll destroy everything in this system. Population. 230 million, sir. Why would he destroy a star? I have to stop him. But I can't do this alone. I need help. I know someone who can. You say history considers me dead. Who am I to argue with history? You're a Starfleet officer. You have a duty. I don't need to be lectured by you. I was out saving the galaxy when your grandfather was in diapers. Now, the torch of adventure is about to be passed. Eliminate them. Klingon vessel decoking directly ahead, sir. Target their bridge! Fool disruptors! <laughs> let's go! Bridge, we have a new problem! All right, let's move them out. Let's go. Take them out. Ten seconds to warp core breach. Try and cheat death together. Walk one, engage! Star Trek Generations. Yeah. So, Star Trek Generations is the seventh film in the Star Trek film series franchise. Malcolm McNall joins the cast from the 60s television show Star Trek and the 1987 spinoff. The Next Generation, including William Shatner and Patrick Stewart. Generations was previewed in the United States and Canada on November 17, 1994, and grossed $3 The film opened to the worldwide release the day after and grossed $23.1 million during the opening weekend. It was the highest-grossing film during the first week of its release in the United States, staying in the top ten for four weeks. The film went on to gross $118 million worldwide, against a $35 million budget, giving its modest budget generations (coughs) gross was considered a success. Star Trek Generations earned mixed reviews from critics and fans. The film holds a 47% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. On Metacritic, the film has a score of 55 out of 100, based on audience surveyed. Generations was conceived as a handoff from the original cast of the Star Trek films to the cast of The Next Generation. After developing several films ideas concurrently, the producers chose a script written by Ronald D. Moore and Bron and Braga. Production began while the final season of the television series was being made. The director was David Carson, who previously directed episodes of the television series. Photography <clears throat> was by franchise newcomer John A. Alfonso. Filming took place on the Paramount Studio lots and on location in Valley of Fire State Park, Nevada, in Lone Pine, California. Is that anywhere? Is that anywhere near you, Charles? Sounds Lone like a place. Uh, I lost track of that. I was doing something. Yeah, it was Lone Pine. He was asking about the Valley of Fire. Yeah. I don't know where Lone Pine, California is, but I know where the Valley of Fire is. Cool. Uh, is that any is that some place we could visit while we're out there for the convention, or is it far away? Not far during away. the convention. No, it's okay. going to be way too hot okay. to be. You really want to go to the Valley of Fire <laughs> in the summer? It's 110 from... degrees right now, Jim, at uh, 5:30 in the evening. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's 62 here. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Okay. A novelization of the film written by J.M. Dillard spent three weeks on the New York Times best-selling list. Tie-in merchandise released to promote the film included collectible cups and calendars from Jack in the Box and action figures. Due to production timelines, these figures wore the Blackman-designed Starfleet uniform that were ultimately unused in the film itself. Dennis McCarthy, the principal composer of The Next Generation, was given the task of writing Generation's score. McCarthy became the first Star Trek composer to work on both television and film projects. The soundtrack was released in 1994 in a two-disc format on GNP Crescendo Records. In 2013, the soundtrack was re-released as a two-disc expanded collector's edition to include previously unheard tracks. Charles, what do our fans have to say about Star Trek Generations from our Facebook page? Okay. Well, by the way, just to let you know, Jim, it's currently, I look at my current temperature is 107. It's around, might be up to 110 where Nate is. It's 114 in the Valley of Fire. Wow. At 530. That's ridiculous. Welcome to Vegas, baby. Yep. Brad Anderson of 1011. Now. The idea of the Nexus is ridiculous. The way Kirk died was dumb and contrary to how Kirk predicted his he would die, giving it a two. Roseanne Pennier-Taylor. I didn't like the way Kirk treated Picard when they first met. Too condescending. I didn't like the way the, the, way the writer's brother and nephew basically making him into another Kirk in the Picard crewmate because he's only family. What is wrong with the Enterprise crew being Picard's space family and his brother's sister-in-law nephew being his first family? Why did they have to make Picard a lonely old man who will die alone? Mm-hmm. Saying she's generous and giving it a four. Boris Seltzer, 10, because it was my generation of Star Trek on the big screen for the first time, and I was young. Robert Mathis, I was not crazy about this film. The crew and the character development didn't transfer well onto the big screen for the first TNT movie. It was almost awkward to watch. The next one was much better. Plus, Atner was so that minus three right off. He's a bad actor. Giving it a four. Dominic Shark gave it a ten because it was epic. The two captains with cool starships in service. Top fan Jesse Crawford gave it a seven. Not a bad movie, but nowhere near the top of the Trek film. Three years use of the BOP explosion from undiscovered country left a little sour note on what were otherwise solid effects. The story itself was good but had some major plot holes. Top fan, Efren, the movie in eight. It was one of my favorites, definitely. 
David gets his emotion chip installed. Good time. David James Allen gives it a two, only because it's Tuesday. I love that one. I absolutely <laughs> love that one. <laughs> Alex Palmer said the captain of the D was ner- uh, a nervous screw up, and the D got it set up. Settled days handed to them too easily, giving it a five. And Eric Keenan on my problem with the movie is they tried to do too much, giving it a ten, scores totaling it, giving it a 5.9. Which is a little bit higher than the 5.5 that it's, that it's rated. So our fans are pretty close to what the consensus was. So that's cool. A lot of, a lot of people made some very valid points in what they said. And I, it's great to hear from our fans as well. So that when we talk, you know, start talking about it, you know, we know where we compare and where we fall with the fans. And I'm going to, I'm going to start by saying that when I talk about Star Trek movies and, and people always want to uh, grade them and rank them and whatnot and whatnot, and I, I have my top three favorites, and I have my bottom three least favorites and everything in between. And I don't specifically um, number them as 8, 12, you know, 11, whatever, um, because my moods change, you know. Sometimes I want to watch Star Trek Four. Sometimes I want to watch Star Trek Beyond. It, it depends on what my mood is. But my favorite movies and my worst favorite movies are really don't change. And I'm going to tell you right now, Generations is my least favorite movie of all the Star Trek movies. I hated it. I think it's terrible. It's the movie I never watch. I pulled it out and watched it just for this podcast, and my eyes started to bleed. Um, <laughs> I hate it. Okay? I hate it. And I'm not going to get into why, because it's not important. I just don't like the movie for various reasons. Um, the, my biggest problem with it is... Um, Next Generation was such a phenomenal TV show, and I think that maybe they were rushed because we were still getting over watching The Next Generation and All Good Things rap, and here they dropped the movie on us. We didn't get a, really get a chance to, to uh, get over TNG not being on television, and boom, here's a movie, and it felt very rushed, and it felt like they cut a lot of corners, and it felt like the crew of TNG could have done so much better than what they were given. And uh, Kirk, I don't feel was needed in the movie. I feel they wrapped up the, the TOS crew in Star Trek VI perfectly with the signatures on the screen, and I was happy to see them go, and I wanted to see TNG take over the reins and, and run with it, and that's not what I got. I felt that, that Shatner being in the movie dragged it down rather than brought it up. And it could have been so much more than what it was. So I did not like the movie. It's my least favorite movie. And uh, fans, I, I'd give this movie, oh, God, I don't know, a four, a three. Um, yeah, so that's my take on it. Um, how about you, Nate? I actually like this movie. I loved seeing the Enterprise B uh in action uh for the uh short lived time that it was um 
I, it's uh, the only film that I don't like of the Next Generation ones is Insurrection. All the rest of the them I enjoy quite a bit. So, uh, but uh, I, of course, we had to have the Enterprise get destroyed one more time. We always have to destroy an Enterprise in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then that brought us the uh, the glorious E model. So, um, so I, I I enjoyed it. Yes, you're right. Uh, it was the six was a great send off to the original cast. I don't uh, fault you for thinking that um, with the signatures and everything. Um, but uh, I <clears throat> I I enjoyed this movie. Um, and uh, I like I said, Insurrection is the only one I can't stand of the next generation ones. That one is the bottom of my list. That's probably ranked zero out of ten uh, for me in uh, for. Now don't be now, see now don't be doing that because we haven't talked about that movie yet. <laughs> you're, you're giving people you're giving well, out you were spoilers. Just saying this one was bottom of the barrel for you. I'm telling you, Insurrection is my bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so you, you don't want to spoil it for our listeners, and they won't tune in to hear what you have well, to say. Well, I'm not going to tell already... you anything about it then. I'm just t- okay. telling you it was my my worst one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We can buy. We can handle that. <laughs> and how about you, Eric? Uh, you know, I remember uh, when this movie first came out, uh, going to the theater, super, super excited to see things up on the big screen. And I will say that I did enjoy it the first time around. Of course, the the big movie sequences, like the destruction of the Enterprise and that sort of stuff. And as Nate said, the Enterprise B stuff. Uh, at the beginning. So I'll say that the first time I watched this movie, I really enjoyed it. And I've watched it a few times since then. I think as time goes by, um, there are more things about it that I wish were a little bit different. Um, You know, I wish John Harriman wasn't such a weak captain. I mean, why, why would they ever put somebody like that in, in charge of a ship named enterprise? That seems, um, seems like he just wasn't ready, you know? Uh, well, he wasn't actually going to be captain until Tuesday. This was well, prior. Well, he, he was in <laughs> They just didn't have photon torpedoes yet, man. <laughs> or a tractor beam. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, here's what I will say. I think people criticize the data emotion chip stuff. And I will tell you that I love the, 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 the data emotion chip stuff. I love that he wants to push it even farther than he ever did during his seven seasons uh, on TV. And, you know, Jordy is there. His best friend is there to help him install it, to help take him through 10 forward for the first time, to help him kind of like uh, go through that experience. Not, I guess not for the first time. I mean, he's experienced the emotion chip before, but the first time he kind of like decided that he was going to go for it of his own volition. And, um, you know, there's the scene where the chip kind of overloads uh, and he, he gets that ridiculous laugh that he does. The movie really allowed Brett Spiner to kind of exercise his chops a little bit. I mean, he, I thought he was really good uh, as Data. You know, what would Data be like if he was afraid for the first time? What would Data be like if he tasted something awful for the first time uh, with an emotional response? So uh, I'll say that's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is, is the Data emotion chip stuff. Uh, I did feel like the Klingon sisters were sort of thrown in there a little bit. Um, you know, I don't get me wrong. I love Larson Bator, but 
you know, why do they have this deal with Soren? I mean, they're making some money off of him for some transport. Uh, they get and they want some information on the ultimate weapon, trilithium, blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't know. They, they were the least convincing to me uh, of kind of the major storylines is, is, is why they would be here. But um, let's talk about the Nexus. <laughs> so, Jim, I think Jim hates the Nexus. Um, well, you know I, what? I, yeah. I want to say when this movie came out, uh, uh, we went to see it and we, we had this big philosophical discussion. Maybe yeah. you guys will remember on TNG, there was an episode that had a cosmic string and a cosmic filament. And now we have the Nexus. So is the Nexus bigger or smaller than a filament? Or is it the same thing as a string? And if so, what's the difference between a string and the nexus and the filament and a nexus? Very, I mean, we could get into this for the rest of the night, but uh, that was one of the biggest things that we were discussing is what makes the nexus so different from a cosmic string or a cosmic filament, if you remember those episodes. Yeah, I do remember So listen, guys, I I got to tell you, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to finish talking about what's the difference between a cosmic string, a filament, and the nexus. Don't touch your dial. Run. Don't walk to the bathroom. Pick up your phone and call 646-668-2433, and you can win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on DVD right now. And you can tell us what you thought about Star Trek Generations. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. So, Eric... What is the difference between a string of filament and a nexus? Well, I'm not exactly sure what the difference between a string and a filament is, but I do find it a little bit odd that there is a roving band of energy that sort of goes through the galaxy that seems to pick up uh, human life, or not even human, because uh, it picks up an Elarian too. So it picks up things with life signs, I guess, and takes them to their happy place. Um, and then they kind of contradict themselves a little bit in this movie because uh, if you think about it, the cosmic string comes, right? Soren destroys the star. Uh, You see the string go through the planet first, and then you see the planet destroyed by the star blowing up, which means theoretically, in my mind, every single person who's on the saucer section of the Enterprise should actually end up in the Nexus. But, in fact, when Picard meets Guinan in the Nexus, she says that she's just an echo of the Guinan that was there from, uh, you know, 80 years prior to that. So, I don't know, just a little bit of sloppy writing around the, the concept of the Nexus. And don't get me wrong, I, I will tell you that I absolutely love the scene where Picard – I don't like the spinning on the merry-go-round because that makes me dizzy – but the rest of the Christmas scene where Picard realizes he has five children and his wife and he just is so content and he's got that smile on his face. Patrick Stewart just totally nails that part of, uh, you know, how Picard would react to that. Because despite what happens on Captain Picard Day, he does like kids, right? 
he did want a family, which is why he's so devastated when Rene and his brother are killed um, towards the beginning here. So I love that storyline, and I love the, the Christmas scene. Um, it's just kind of like the way they mix it in with the Nexus is a little bit uh, weird. So I want to give Charles some time, but let me just – I'll give you, like, a couple of other cool things I love. One of my favorite humor moments, the life form scan. I know some people hate it. I, when that happened on the screen for the first time, I just laughed out loud and I couldn't help it. And it still makes me laugh. Um, I think they handled Data's humor kind of clunkily uh, in the last two movies, like you were saying, Nate, Nemesis and Insurrection are, are not, not great movies. Um, and Data is not really that awesome in those. Uh, and then, you know, Kirk. Uh, Jim, I got to agree with you. Kirk, unnecessary in this movie. Um, I had written down, you guys have all said it, so I was going to not talk about it too much, but uh, I totally agree. Perfect send-off in 1991. Um, you know, he says the straight, you know, second star of the right straight out until morning, and then he does the captain's log uh, that kind of hands, literally, like the monologue at the end literally hands the torch off to, uh, you know, to people in the future who will discover all the undiscovered countries that are left out there, so why in the world they felt like they had to bring him back just to intersect the two captains. I do not know. Um, so I'm kind of up and down on this movie. I really, really like parts of it. And I think parts of it are, are total star Trek and really cool. And then part of the writing is just like, well, how does this actually fit together? But you know, when I sit down to watch this movie overall, I still enjoy it. Um, and I still think it's better than star Trek five. Sorry, Jim. So I'll give That's it cool. a <laughs> so I'll give it a, a six point five. And how about you, Charles? Oh, hard to really keep track of not what 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 hasn't been talked about. I will mention that the I think a lot from what I heard a lot of the scenes on the final planet. We're a little farther deeper into Death Valley, but they actually took about I think about twelve to fifteen foot length of that bridge, metal bridge that's in there, and that actually still exists in Death Valley. It takes a little bit to find it, but it is out there. If I get a chance, maybe I'll post a couple pictures of it on the Facebook page. Summer. I did get past spring, I think it's more like I did get a chance to go see a little bit of it, which was interesting. I agree with Eric. There's some plot holes in this one and some twists that weren't necessary, but it's still in a good it's still an interesting movie. I had forgotten that Dinan we got a little bit of an origin story to Dinan. You also do realize that this Picard losing his family was a tie-in to eventually him after becoming Admiral and then resigning to moving in back to family property. Mm-hmm. So this was a bit of a connection to bringing card series into play. But I constantly remind the fact that Dinan's got a very interesting story that we don't understand. That she's got a lot in her past. 
it was interesting to see the B in action. Yes, there's a lot of jokes the fact it's ready. Well, the ship wasn't ready. The ship was going out in a... Let's go take the ship out for a spin and show the public what's going on with the new ship series. Mm-hmm. The news Because you got water quarters hanging around. <laughs> they bring the old crew aboard to these passengers. And they only brought a few, a few people signed up to actually do the movie. But we got to see a little bit of the new beat which otherwise we would not have seen anything of. Yes, the captain was a bit of a bumble. He probably shouldn't have been captain. He kind of gave us a little chance to let Shatner shine for a little bit. And you know, in his defense, yeah, and he does actually volunteer to go down to engineering and do the thing that needs to be done before Kirk's like, no, I'll do it. So, you know, he at least, like, he wasn't a coward. Nope. He just didn't know what he was doing. (laughs) He didn't know what he was doing, but the ship never really got his maiden voyage of really testing himself as a captain. He got thrown into a situation. Because all they were doing was demonstrating to the news media about the new ship. In fact, he did jump in at several times when they were busy trying to interview just comments from crew people. And he'd jump in and make some positive responses about the ship. So I think he might have been a good future captain. They shouldn't have ever sent the ship out really on a event. It's like, oh, it's the only ship out there. It's like, why aren't you getting more ships Closer to Earth, if you're going to do something like this. Well, and it always seems like we get that. We always get that plot point. Oh, we're the closest ship around. It's like, yeah, where are all the rest of these ships? (laughs) Every time they're staying away from Earth. Let me guess. We're worried the the board may come near Earth to Earth eventually. So we got to keep the ships away from the. Away from Earth. Yeah, I was going to say there is one interesting Harriman story out there if you guys are interested. Um, IDW did a comic called Star Trek Captain's Log, uh, and I think they did maybe half a dozen issues or so, and one of the issues they did was a John Harriman issue, and you kind of um, – it gives his character a little bit more depth, like – not extreme depth, but uh, after you read that comic, you like him a little bit more. You don't think he's quite uh, quite the weak sauce that he appears to be uh, in this movie. The character is also in a uh, Star Trek fan film, uh, I believe. Uh, yeah, a Star Trek fan film. I don't remember what it was called, but both Michelle and Walter are also in that fan film. Oh, and... Uh, Harriman has a beard like he's from the Mirror Universe, too, in that yeah. same film. I think that's of Gods and Men. I think that's the one. Yeah, that okay. was cool. I forgot about that. Yep. But I will yeah. say, I think, I'm not going to sit there and evaluate the best and the worst of the movie. 
but I think this is probably one of our weakest villains in the series. You think so? Like weaker than um, Nero, or or not Nero, but uh, what's his name, Shinzon? Uh, they may be rather tied together. I mean, I see what you're saying, Charles. They don't give him much to work with, but uh, Malcolm McDowell is driven. Like he's he's obviously driven, uh, you know, and he's kind of and he's smart. I think that comes through. I'm curious as to what makes him seem like a weak villain. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just curious. Well, how many people want to sit there and not only double-cross Klingon, but you're basically kind of getting in there to double-cross the Duroc sisters who were a bit intimidating themselves. But he just yes, his main motive was to try and deal with getting back the nexus. Yeah. That just seemed like his only goal was okay. I gotta work my way to get there, no matter what. Yeah, he's really good at those. I have to step on to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, but to sit there and say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to sacrifice planets." Yeah. Yes, to get to here. I mean, I think he's interesting in that he is the opposite of Khan because I think Khan has this concept of I'm doing this for the good of humanity, even though it's kind of a twisted way of looking at it. But he, like, that's the genetic Superman kind of outlook yeah. is, you know, I'm doing this for the good of everybody else. Um, Soren is doing it all for himself. He's 100% uh, all in on his own. And, and it's almost like the Nexus is a drug. And it's almost like this is the length that some, somebody will kill hundreds of millions of people to experience this endless, this drug of endless bliss. Yeah. So that's an interesting concept to me. And I think it gives him a good motivation to be a bad guy that is not a bad guy that we've seen before. I mean, we see like Klingons and stuff just trying to go for their, their own, uh, you know, glory or, or whatever. But I don't know. It's interesting. It is interesting. He's a totally different kind of villain. Um, from ones that we get, yeah. you know, in the past or future. I guess that's a good way of saying it. He's a different kind of villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. He's a, not quite, but a little bit like a Q-type villain. Yeah, I love that he's an Elarian that is not a good listener. <laughs> so I guess this brings me back to my main, my, my biggest problem with this movie what the hell is the Nexus? I mean, well, if, if Guinan is still in there, so no, let's use Guinan. So she's an echo. But here's the thing. <laughs> she, she, she's on Earth uh, with Samuel Clemens in, in uh, uh, Time Zero. So she's living on Earth, right? Then, then at, some, at some point in time, the Borg destroy her home world she is on her home world at some point because it's said in the movie that the ships are carrying refugees from the planet after the Borg destroyed it. So she ends up from Earth's past into the future on the ship in the Nexus. And then she's a shadow, which means she left the Nexus at some point. So where did she go? How did she get there? And once you're in the Nexus... (laughs) 
she's an echo, but an echo of what? And so, does that mean that Soren is still in there as an echo, and Kirk is still in there as an echo, and Picard is still in there as an echo, and all the people on the planet are in there as an echo? Right. I mean, it just, they never really explained what this, as well. Yeah. They never told you what this Nexus deal, it was, you know what it was like? It was like a fancy holodeck, basically. It's not real. All right, Jim. According to Memory Alpha, this is uh, this is what the Nexus is. It was an extra-dimensional heaven-like realm in which one's thoughts and desires shaped reality. Inside the Nexus, time and space has no meaning, allowing one to visit any time and any place that one could imagine. The doorway to the Nexus was a violent, destructive, temporal energy-ridden, which crossed the galaxy every 39.1 years. Um, and they were uh, listed here, 2393, 2332, and 2371. Um, so there you go. It is a temporal energy ribbon is what a nexus is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, well, the answer to your question really, Jim, is that the movie was written so inconsistently when it comes to the nexus. None of us actually knows
you want to make a difference, don't you? And Kirk's like, oh, yeah, that's right, I do. Okay, let's go make a difference. And then did, did so, you guys notice in the Christmas scene when his kids were playing, did you notice what toys his kids were playing with? Did anyone notice? Uh, well, the one was a ship. The one boy had like a ship that I think is, wasn't it one of the ships that you see during the credits of Enterprise or something? Or no, he was, oh. he was playing with an alien bug hunter ship from the movie oh. Alien vs. Predator. Oh, was he? <laughs> and I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> My God. Uh, I mean, wow. Give me a break there, guys. You know? And, and <laughs> they just went to the toy store and bought toys off the shelf and put them in the movie. And I was like, come on. Here's some really? Help. Here's some more information uh, from Memory Alpha. Um, Apparently, Ronald Moore also uh, talked about uh, this. Uh, It says here, in an early version of the Generation script, Guinan explains that her experience in the Nexus and the Enterprise B are responsible for her sixth sense uh, that lets her perceive people and events outside their linear uh, time. And then uh, he continues, uh, Guinan, Saran, and other L. Orians are in some kind of transitional phase going on, uh, going into the Nexus when their ships uh, begin exploding. The Enterprise B beams them away at a crucial moment that brings their physical bodies back but leaves behind some kind of echo, at least for Guinan. Whether or not Soran uh, also left behind an echo was the subject of much debate and many rewrites, some including a Soran doppelganger uh, and some even including a meeting between the two Sorans in the Nexus. The momentary sensation of being in the Nexus leaves both Guinan and Soran with... um, an almost overpowering desire to return. When Kirk pulled into the Nexus, uh, there's no transporter beam to yank him away, and hence, he's completely left inside. When Picard and Saran enter the Nexus years later, they too are pulled in completely, and the idea of an echo should not apply since it was the direct result of a transporter fluke in a very specific instance, and that's according to Donald Ronald D. Moore, who is a writer for, um, or yeah, you know, he was showrunner in uh, Battlestar Galactica, but he's a writer from DS9 and and such also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, helped with this script. So there you go. Well, uh, I, I, I I I just thank you. <clears throat> I think that reusing the Klingon bird of prey from Star Trek VI was Lane. Oh, they do that uh, all the time, Jim. They do that all the time get, in movies. When have they done that in a Star Trek movie? <laughs> well, not a Star Trek movie, but come on. Well, all right, we're talking Star Trek here. I mean, and it was and it, it was from the previous movie. Like, not, like we all missed Star Trek Six and didn't see that. I just that just irked me. I was like, come on, really? But one of the biggest scenes that that got me was when Riker. Well, the lighting in the in the movie is really weird. You remember the lighting in the movie? It, it was like 
They had no money, so they turned off the set lights. It's just weird lighting. Well, they were trying to make the Enterprise look a little bit darker, so it didn't have that kind of, like, shiny, bright look from the series. They were trying to make it look a little bit edgier. So one, one edgy scene in particular, Riker's on the bridge of the Enterprise, and, and Picard gets the call, and he's in his writing room, and Riker goes into the writing room to tell Picard that the, 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 the Romulan space station is under attack, and he walks off the bridge into the writing room, and when he walks into the writing room and Picard is sitting there looking at the pictures of his family, the bridge behind Riker, when he walks off the bridge, there's not a single light on the bridge at all. It's like walking out of a dark closet. Nothing. You don't see warp. You don't see data. Nothing. It's just absolute darkness. Like they turned all the lights off and said, we can't afford to light the set. So walk in out of the darkness. And it, I just, stuff like that, just get under my skin because next generation is better than that. You know, the, at the other scene, when, when, when Kirk goes down to fix the, the, um, the, uh, deflector dish on the enterprise B you notice in that scene, he's climbing up all this scaffolding and stuff to get to the deflector control. You know the scene I'm talking about? The reason yeah, why he's right. climbing up all, the, all the, the scaffolding is he literally is climbing up scaffolding from the construction crew because they were disassembling the sets from TNG and left it there. And literally, he had to crawl on them to get to where he needed to go. When have you ever seen a bunch of scaffolding in front of the deflector control when Jordy was working in engineering? Never. I mean, stuff like that, when they cut corners like that and do stupid things like that on a show that's such a phenomenal show, it, I catch it right away and I'm like, oh, no, are you kidding me? And, yeah, the Klingon sisters, they didn't need to be there. And I love Lursa and Bator. They're my favorite Klingons. If I was ever going to get, get kidnapped by Klingons, it would be them. You know, I want to go with the Duras sisters. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so, so Charles, what would you give the score? What would you give the movie as a score before we run out of time here? I think I'll go with Eric around a 6.5, maybe a 6.6. 6.6? Yeah. All right, cool. So listen, guys, we are going to be coming to you live from Las Vegas next Thursday. Uh, we're going to move the show up just a, just a skosh. Uh, instead of 7.30, we're going to be on at 7, uh, my time. Uh, when I program the show here, uh, it will be 7. I'll be out in Las Vegas with Nate and uh, Charles. So we'll, 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 I'll be get to meet these guys for the first time. We're going to hang out. We're going to do a live show. Don't know what it's going to be about because I'm not there yet, but we're going to try to bring the Las Vegas experience to you guys live right here on the radio. So if you want to tune in next week, it's going to be a blast. Don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to be fun. I, that much I can guarantee you. So if you want to tune in. Um, also, we're going to be doing uh, a comic corner in the not too distant future. Uh, right, guys? Didn't we decide we were going to do a comic corner? We did. We've got some awesome year five comics to review. I think we've got at least three that we haven't done, and I think a fourth might be coming out here in the next week or so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so we're going to Comic Corner coming up, and we're also going to be talking uh, 
not next week because we'll be live in Las Vegas, but the following week, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, whatever the title of the episode is, I don't know yet. But Lower Decks premieres on the 12th, so we'll be talking about Lower Decks on our future shows. The next 10 shows, we'll be reviewing the latest Lower Decks episodes, so you want to tune in for that as well. We also have uh, Rob Perlman scheduled to be on a podcast. I believe it's on September 2nd. I'm still working on that one, but you guys want to tune in and check that out as well. So we got a lot going on, a lot of fun stuff. I want to say thank you to Hellboy? each and every one of you guys. Hellboy's going to be on the show? Yeah, <laughs> call me on the phone. Different, different Perlman. Yeah, different. Not, different Perlman. Not Ron. Not Ron. <laughs> yep. Totally different guy. And, oh, okay. um, but an awesome anyways, author. Okay. Yeah, he, he's written some great Star Trek books, and uh, we're going to talk about all of that. Um, September 2nd. So I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys for listening, no matter where you are, for taking the time to tune in. And I want to say thank you to Nate for hanging out with us and sharing some of his insights and Star Trek Generations with us and for being a lucky caller to win a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Thanks, Nate. Yeah, thank you. I'm actually glad it's a DVD. I don't own a Blu-ray player, so I'm I'm happy with it. (laughs) Just just so you know, I am definitely happy about it. It worked out for the best. And I want to say yep. thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight as well. Thank you very much, Eric. You better believe it. I had a good time. Thanks, guys. And, of course, my very own right-hand man, Charles, who's in Vegas, where I'm going to be next week. Thank you so much for hanging out and truck talking with us, Charles. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's always fun. It's a great time. If time flies right by, I kind of feel like I'm in the nexus and it's just an echo of myself or something like that. <laughs> See you next oh, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the things the things we talk about, huh? Anyways, oh, yeah. but the Mulder Scully thing blew my mind. I had no that idea about that. That, that was, was brilliant. That was, Thank you, Charles. That was awesome. Yeah. That was was cool. And, of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And uh, please, please, if you're going to be in Las Vegas, if you're going to be at the Star Trek 55-year mission, swing by our table. We're going to be at a booth in the dealer's room. Leslie Hoffman will be with us signing autographs. I'll be there. Charles will be there. Nate, are you going to be there? Maybe. Yeah, I got uh, I got tickets. I don't. I, <clears throat> I got five day tickets, so hopefully uh, I'll be there all five days. I guess uh, Charles is going back to work, so he's he's probably not going to be there all five days, but I'll be there. So you guys can meet myself. You can meet Leslie. You can meet Charles. You can meet Nate. So swing by and say hello. I'll give you a fridge magnet. How's that sound? They're pretty cool. I think you'll like them. They're neat. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I have a brand new microphone that we're going to be we're going to be using at the convention, and it's going to be we got a nice banner that that, that we had printed up that's going to be hanging up behind us. We got five thousand business cards to hand out. We got one hundred and fifty fridge mags. So stop by, get a magnet, get a business card, and say hello. I'd love to meet you in person. So at any rate, guys, I'm your uncle Jim saying thank you, kapla. Live long and prosper. Stay safe. Be good to each other. Stop by and say hello if you're in Las Vegas. If not, tune into the show Thursday night and see what it's all about. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Oh.
Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.